0: The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission, who remains deeply committed to the work of justice for the oppressed. To find out more about the work of IJM or to follow them on social, head to IJM.org. Well, this is The New Activist, a show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of injustice. My name is Eddie Koffoltz, and it is a joy to be with you today as we welcome our very special guest, Dr. Michelle Reyes. Dr. Reyes is a second-generation Indian American author, speaker, and activist. She is also the vice president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative, which, as you may remember, we got a chance to speak with some of the other leaders earlier on this year. We will catch up with Dr. Reyes about the work that they are doing. She is also a co-planter of a church called Hope Community Church, along with her husband, Aaron. This church is a minority-led, multicultural church in East Austin. She has a new book that just came out in mid-April. It is called Becoming All Things, How Small Changes Lead to Lasting Connections Across Cultures. And that's what we talk about today. We talk a lot about how we are to recognize the differences without letting those differences consume us. It's a really nuanced conversation that she walks us through and that I was privileged to be a part of. Before we start the conversation, if you would take a moment and rate and review The New Activist on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to the show, your five stars and encouraging words are hugely helpful not only to help guide the show, but to help people hear The New Activist for the first time. And use that space, use the comments to recommend future guests. Love reading all of those comments. Well, without further ado, here is our very special guest, Dr. Michelle Ami reyes Dr. Reyes, I'm so grateful that you joined us on the show. Um, I want to get into a lot, but it's also worth noting that you were the vice president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative, who we got to spend time with, or some of uh, your cohorts and uh, your colleagues in April following the statement on anti-Asian racism in the time of COVID-19. And I think actually during the interview, you were on another interview because you all were everywhere. Um, I I guess I'm curious just broadly, like how is the organization doing? How are you and your colleagues doing?
1: Yeah, you know, it's been, (laughs) it feels like we've been around for 10 years in terms of just (laughs) the amount of uh, work and and time and growth that has has happened over the past year. Um, I'm grateful to be a part of this uh, really incredible group of Asian American Christians, thought leaders, pastors, scholars, um, who have all given of their time and energy to do the work uh, of AACC, which is, uh, you know, our hope is to mobilize the Asian American Christian voice. And we do that by unpacking uh, faith, race, culture, and justice through a biblical perspective. And um, as you mentioned, we, sort of splashed on the scene last year because of the statement that we wrote uh, on anti-Asian racism in the time of COVID-19. With, within a few weeks, the statement had garnered over 10,000 signatures and really had had garnered national attention, which was exciting uh, because the church was finally talking about this issue. And, and that was in many ways the whole goal uh, was after – ministering to, uh, mentoring so many Asians within the church who felt like my fellow congregants, my own pastor doesn't seem to care about what I'm saying. I'm being dismissed. I'm being called a snowflake. What do I do? And it really catalyzed conversations within the church about how do we preach against and racism of all kinds, but anti-Asian racism as well from the pulpit. Uh, what does this mean for uh, the life of the church, rhythms of the church, um, so we were really grateful for how that statement in the beginning of our org catalyzed new conversations um, within the church around anti-Asian racism. And at the same time, it felt like a punch in the gut to get the ticker on our phone March 16th and hear about the Atlanta shooting and feel like, man, things have only gotten worse. Um, you know, a lot of us have talked about the ways in which anti-Asian racism has escalated over the past year, but how we were first... Uh, yelled at, then coughed on and, and spit at, uh, and then, you know, physically attacked. Uh, you know, folks had acid thrown on them. And then, you know, it finally escalated to the point that uh, Asian peoples were killed. And so we were once again in this moment of of, of calling the church again to speak out against this, um, particularly because, as we all learned, the, the white male shooter was part of a church, a self-identified Christian, um, passionate about God and country, and so what we're trying to do is move the conversation now one step further. It's not enough to just preach against racism from the pulpit. We have to figure out what you know, race-conscious and even gender-conscious whole-life discipleship looks like. How do we uh, incorporate these conversations and topics into the spiritual formation of uh, believers in the everyday? So that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, and uh, big questions, but uh, feeling hopeful in the midst of of, of a heavy time, and, and the ways in which uh, people are wanting to learn more, and people are wanting to take first steps.
0: I mean, when we spoke a year ago, it was you know AACC had was relatively new, and you guys were all just blanketing you know every podcast with you know talking about the statement, but in the year that's continued since then, you all have continued to do a lot of work, right? That was the new story in that moment was you guys getting the statement on anti-Asian racism out. But in the last year, like, both how has the work progressed and organizationally, how have you progressed? And then have you seen, and I know this is one of those very broad, almost unanswerable questions, but how have you seen attitudes progress or I guess regress in the last year?
1: to trace the development of a nonprofit, right? Yeah. Uh, right. You know, you, you you start something and you're literally building the plane while flying it. That's what last March and <laughs> April felt yeah, like. It's like, we're yeah. off the ground, but we're still trying to put the pieces together. Um, and, uh, you know, since then we've, we've been trying to figure out, you know, what is what is our, our, our niche? What is our lane? You know, what is it that people want to come to us and learn about? And in many ways, our lane is uh, pursuing racial justice and offering biblical frameworks for that, but not just racial justice. But I think one of the things that we really want to Speak into and have been trying to speak into over this past year is Asian American theology. There is so little that's been published within uh, Asian American theology, and um, you know there are books like Jonathan Trans Introducing Asian American Theologies, which is incredible. Um, you know we we have folks like Kwak Pwilan, uh Rita Brock, and 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 others who are who are doing the work, but. They're not known within mainstream evangelical circles. And I think that's part of the problem is churches are, are, are becoming more racially conscious and there is a desire to understand issues like race and culture. And yet uh, they don't even know what resources are out there. And 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 as for AACC, we want to help people move beyond the black-white racial divide and and understand the ways in which when we think about race as just a problem between white and black people. It's uh, first, you know, Asians and then also Latinos who are overlooked and erased. And so, how do we educate people to see a more comprehensive race issue and bring in Asian American theology uh, to to resource the church with Asian American theology as part of that education? And so, a lot of our content right now, both our AACC Reclaim publication and our Reclaim podcast, that Ray and I co-host is seeking to move in that direction. We have some really exciting projects uh, in in the works, including uh, some virtual conference as well as some book publications uh, that we're excited to be uh, announcing and releasing soon. But um, that's our hope. And in the spirit of AACC, in the spirit of being collaborative and, and, and bringing people from a wide variety of theological backgrounds, you know, ecumenically, um, ethnically, to be a, a space where we can all come together and and grow in our, our understanding of Asian American theology, to learn, to grow, to publish, and to really, yeah, change the conversation on this within the North American
0: church. I just want to say the Reclaim podcast that you all are creating is like essential listening. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. But what was it the... Um... The silencing, there was an episode on the silencing of Asian American women.
1: Yes. Yes. With Tiffany Bloom.
0: I was like grateful you put that into the world so that we could hear that and Tiffany's story and just everything. I was just, that was a heck of an episode. It's such a good podcast. So thank you for that very hard work. Oh, thank you. So I'm struck by the fact that as AACC is beginning to happen last year, You're also in the midst of, were you still writing the book that just got released at that point last year (laughs) or where are you? I mean, there's a lot happening for you in one moment. Can you take me through kind of what the timeline of your early 2020 looked like?
1: Goodness, Um, early 2020, it's almost hard to remember.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) It was one year and a hundred years ago.
1: What was going on back then? Yeah. so first I'll say that, you know, my husband and I were church planters here in Austin, Texas. I also serve as scholar in residence at our church, Hope Community Church, and it is a, I call it a majority-minority church in that we are predominantly Latino and Asian. Even last year, at the beginning of last year, we were beginning to mentor and um, just walk alongside a lot of our congregants who were uh, beginning to experience those first uh, iterations of anti-Asian racism, even myself, right? Like I had people shouting at me, telling me to go home, which was like one of the most bizarre experiences in my life um, because people who are racist, first of all, can't tell the difference between Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans, Korean Americans, even Indian Americans, right? I experienced my fair share of of anti-Asian racism. My children and I were out walking one day and and a neighbor stopped us on the sidewalk and literally refused to let us pass because she didn't believe that we belonged in that neighborhood and we had to like prove where we lived. But we had folks in our church who were literally chased down the street with, with people shouting coronavirus at them. Um, a lot of threatening, insulting language and online discussions and more. And so our church was really hurting. And so when I think about like January and even February of last year, the memories I have predominantly are of of a lot of work that was happening within our church. We were having, we host a, a monthly communal gathering of lament and prayer But we were doing more of those types of gatherings uh, because people were just hurting. So, so that was going on. Um, AACC wasn't yet around, but I I was working as an editorial director for PAX, which I now serve as co executive director for, and then was working on my book. I didn't submit my manuscript for it until June first. And you know, a lot of my book. Each chapter opens up with stories in my own life of just different interactions and engagements that I've had across cultures, and so I, I did, end up changing some of these chapters to reflect, wow. uh, twenty twenty, and and what was going on, in in the world. So um, I'll also say my last plane ride before everything got shut down was going out to Los Angeles for the Someday Is Here conference that Vivian Mabuni uh, put on in which um, you know women, Asian American Christian women from all over the country uh, came and, and, and gathered for the first time, which was very, very special. So those are some of my early memories from last year.
0: My goodness. There's a lot happening at one time. We are speaking and your book is released and your new book, Becoming All Things, How Small Changes Lead to Lasting Connections Across Culture is out. And congratulations. Um, Thank you. Yeah. How is it for you to release something so personal and in black and white into the world? I, I just am always fascinated about what it must be like for you in these book launch days to see the world start to read and then react to these words that you have been Praying over and pouring over and considering for a long time, and have been in a way. Your whole story is in the book, so I'm curious what it's like for you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, so many things, right? Like, I would say, on the one hand, I'm an I'm an introvert, and I'm a writer, and so. Oftentimes when I'm in conversation with people, uh, you know, I'm asking more of the questions or just because I have the hat of church planter and pastor's wife and, and all of this, you know, so a lot of my conversations with people is mentoring others and hearing about their lives. And so, um, a lot of people, I feel like, learn more about my life through my writing than yes, in conversation yeah. <laughs> with me. And so um, it is an interesting phenomenon to be putting out a book in which there are stories that I have not shared before outside of you know with my husband or with my 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 close personal friend circle now these stories are are out there for the world to see and on the one hand there is some some nervousness with uh, how are how are people going to respond to this what are people going to think about this indian american woman uh, talking about how she sees you know different People groups and the sort of interactions she's had with them. I will say that I've been really grateful for my book launch team because they were the first people that got access to my book and and, and read it in advance with me. And we had sort of a mini book club, uh, you know, weekly discussions and things like that. Uh, and certainly there were some questions like, what what did you mean when you said this? Or I have no idea what, what you know, how do you feel about white people? <laughs> These sorts of questions. But the resounding, um, I think, feedback, overall feedback was just positive, a lot of excitement, people saying, wow, I felt so seen by this. Or now I feel like I have the vocabulary to have this conversation with so-and-so. Um, so I've just been so encouraged by that. And that was that was my hope was that this book would be a resource to, to Christians and the church uh, with both uh, practical vocabulary and, and practical steps that people could begin implementing, um, you know, right today.
0: Yeah, it's that's a perfect segue. It's as if you're a podcaster, because I would like to talk about <laughs> so, some of those practical pieces to it. Um, because in the book, you contend that cultural identities and cross-cultural engagement are not things that anyone can choose to ignore anymore. Um, this is an obvious opener question, but why, why were we ignoring them in the first place?
1: Oh man, Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a complex question <laughs> Yeah, okay <laughs> But it's a good one It's a really, really good one Because, uh, you know, our, the, the church is still divided on this today, right? And, and some of it is a generational divide Where certain uh, demographics still believe that race is not a problem in in our country Or, um, you know, there's even certain pockets of, of Christians believe that, you know, we solved the problem of racism in the 60s <laughs> and, and 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 so on and so forth. Um, and then of course, there's also this very anemic sort of biblical theological understanding of, of, of race and culture, right? That uh, you know, people take Verses out of context like Galatians 3.28 and and say, well, you know, it says in in scripture that there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. We are all one in, in Christ Jesus. So clearly this must mean that our spiritual identities matter and anything else like cultural identities don't matter for a lot of different reasons, for different reasons of lacking education, right? Lacking historical education, lacking racial education, and lacking theological education. Uh, Many Christians have come to these conclusions that race isn't important, either within society at large or within our own Identities and and because of that, uh, you know, pastors oftentimes don't preach about race and culture from the pulpit. They don't. They're not taught in seminaries how to how to to read scripture through those lenses and to identify people's ethnic identities and 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 what God is having to say about racial tensions, um and and, and whatnot. Um, so there's there's a lot that we need to do within the realm of education and. Opening people's eyes to the realities that are all around us, and oftentimes it's because of our own privilege or because of the monocultural spaces in which we inhabit that we just don't see these things. Which you know is 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 why not only is education important, but um, changing up how we how we move about our day and our rhythms, our, our locations, where we the, the spaces we inhabit, um, because the more proximate we are to other cultures and to other realities, other realities of pain and oppression and marginalization, the more we are going to care and the more we are going to want to do something about these realities. Um, I really liked how, how a friend of mine shared that like, proximity leads to empathy and empathy leads to action. And so for Christians as individuals, but for the church at large, Uh, we need to be taking account of who we're listening to, who who we're being educated by. Uh, Is it all sort of voices in one demographic, one age range, one sort of subset and denomination? Um, You know, because we need to be sitting under diverse voices. So where are we being educated? And then how proximate are we to other cultural groups? Because we will never... Be able to truly make things things personal, to feel empathetic and compassionate in a way that's going to lead to to a desire for real change. If those two pieces aren't in play,
0: and it's one thing to acknowledge the difference, but it's another thing, as you talk about in the book, to uh, stereotype, appropriate, gentrify, even like be racist. Yet in your book, you're not asking us. I, I like that you don't really ask us as much to examine the other. You ask us to look at ourselves first of all. I'm trying to summarize your book. Is that a fair summary? Because I don't want to, I'm like taking these words you've poured over and putting them in my own. Is that a fair?
1: Yes, I love it. You know, uh, the foundation of my entire book is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23, where the apostle Paul says, I became all things to all people to win some. Um, and so, yeah, the emphasis is on is on us. How can we change? How can we become all things to all people? And that that starts with us.
0: Okay, I want to get back to that, to that 1 Corinthians verse, because it it is fascinating to me, because the the beginning of that verse is, though I am free, I'm reading from the Bible here, for people that are listening, I'm reading from (laughs) 1 Corinthians, it says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like the one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. And it continues. Help me differentiate what's happening here, because I think that on a cursory look, someone can read this and say, she's not saying everybody be the same thing. You're not asking us to somehow lose ourselves. What are you asking of us to begin to realize in light of this verse?
1: You know, we can look to the the examples and the models of, of of Jesus as well as the Apostle Paul. I think it's incredibly important that we understand Jesus's own multi ethnic heritage. Uh, he was a Jewish man, certainly, uh, and people oftentimes overlook that. So we need to start there. Um, but he, you know, if we look at Matthew chapter one, his genealogy, you know, he he had Canaanite Moabite, you know, heritage in his own. Background and his multi-ethnic identity fueled his multi-ethnic mission, uh, his his diverse mission to all peoples. And so we see the ways in which Jesus, you know, he's he's traveling around to different regions, connecting with with uh, men and women, uh, Jews and Samaritans. And (laughs) I love the story where they try to go to a Samaritan village and the Samaritans don't accept them, don't welcome them in. And the disciples are like, let's just pray and rain down fire (laughs) on this village and destroy them all. And Jesus is like, absolutely not. This is not how we treat people who are different from us and certainly not people that we are experiencing racial tension from. And so I think what we see in the model of Jesus is a man who has this embodied ethnic presence in the world. Uh, He is, he is, thoroughly Jewish. He is a Jewish man in the way he celebrates the wedding at Cana uh, and and the ways in which he interacts with his family and the way in which he shares parables and teachings. He's he's a thoroughly Jewish man. But at the same time, you see that he adapts the way he speaks and and adapts the way he behaves with certain individuals, particularly those on the margins of society. And the same thing is true with Paul. Um, This man is like A privileged, educated Pharisee. Like, this man is an elite. Um, And he goes to the poorest of the poor, the the most vulnerable, and he's sharing the gospel in a way that I can just imagine is not dripping with elitist, you know, academic type vocabulary. And people even like tried. Paul for this. They're like, why don't you speak more eloquently? And that's where that verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 9 19 comes into play, where he's like, I, I am not a slave to you guys. I don't I don't have to do anything for um, you know, the accolades of men. Like, I I am I am living for Christ, and so I can take off privilege, I can take off power to connect with people in a way that makes sense to them in their cultural context and situation while also still being the Jewish man and, and, and with, with the background of a Pharisee. And so it, it's a balance. And, and that's where I start my book is developing our own cultural identities. We need to understand who we are as cultural beings. We need to celebrate who we are as cultural beings because if we can't do that, then we won't even begin to see the cultural identities of others, let alone celebrate that. So it's it's a fine balance. We need to be able to do both
0: back to that fine balance. It's one thing to acknowledge a difference, it's another thing to appropriate or to stereotype or to gentrify or to even, you know, move towards racism. In this examination of ourselves, right? As we are to look at ourselves and acknowledge both differences but also acknowledge the blind spots that we have. What would you offer for us to begin to point out those blind spots in ourselves?
1: Well, I think it's very hard for us to- to be able to see our own blind spots. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> and,
0: really and, true.
1: And so this is why, uh, this is this is where proximity plays a huge role, uh, proximity and education. Um, we need to be living life and rubbing shoulders with people of different cultures and ethnic backgrounds. And I'm talking about people that you've developed friendships with, people who you know, you've developed mutual respect for who you know. You can speak into each other's lives in ways that are loving and encouraging and affirming. Um, to say, "Hey, <laughs> I know you're my friend, and and uh, you know, I'm in your corner." However, you said this one thing that really, <laughs> you know, insulted me or rubbed me the wrong way, and I just want to tell you about that and 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 why I would appreciate you doing if we were to do it again, to say it in this way instead. So we need to be able to, to be rubbing shoulders with folks of different cultures. And if we are, conversely are in that situation where somebody has rubbed us the wrong way, um, has maybe accidentally offended us, what I've learned is that no matter who we are or for what we're doing, like just being called out and being told like, you know, you, you messed up or you're a failure or like, whatever like that that doesn't land well with anyone nobody likes being told that they, you know that they're a failure or, or, or whatnot. But I think if we can not only think through what offended us, but to offer an alternative, hey, I didn't appreciate the way you did this. could you do this instead? Yeah. Um, so that we are actually giving people an opportunity to a better way, uh, I think this is the way in which we will grow uh, and, and heal together.
0: Thank you for that. That was a nuanced answer to a very broad question. Um, (laughs) In our final moments together, I am struck by the fact that to write a book on a topic is to truly believe it and to feel it very deeply. Like the, the amount of work that you've had to do is pretty profound. And I have found that a lot of authors I've had the chance to talk to are kind of writing this book to themselves. I don't want to put that on you if it's not true. But I'm curious, Like the generic question is, what made you want to write this book? Because it's it's nuanced and specific and not easy to trudge through. As a reader, it is. But as a writer, it's a lot of work.
1: For sure. Yeah. Well, I'll say this on the side. I, so I have a lot of writer friends. I'm in a few different writer groups or, or in a writer's guild. And we, I, we we kind of tease each other, right? Because the first book is so biographical. It's it's almost like a, a coming of age <laughs> <laughs> book of like, here's my story. Here's how I grew up. This is what I experienced. Here's how I view the world, right? Like all of that is usually captured within the first book. And then my second book, you can go off and write whatever <laughs> you right, want. Right, yeah. um, so, you know, it's, it's fun to see my writer friends also having First books come out that is, is telling their story from childhood through, through through adolescence and adulthood, and in many ways mine does the same. Yeah, you know, being a second generation Indian American woman, um, having grown up at at those crossroads of majority and minority worlds and spaces, uh, I grew up as the only. I mean, besides my sister and my mom, like we were the only brown skinned women in our church, in our community, in our school. Like there there were no other Asians, there were no other African-Americans, there were no Latinos, like it was just us. And, you know, we were in a, I grew up in a very Scandinavian, uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed community. So we we stuck out (laughs) like a sore thumb. And in many ways, um, you know, there's a lot of pain in my story. There's a lot of experiences of just, not fitting in, of even being racially uh, bullied, and just walking that road of of learning and seeing and experiencing firsthand uh, the reasons for why people reject each other, other each other, make fun of each other, and also just in my own life, the ways in which God has showed me how to heal, how to forgive, how to keep bridging those divides and, and pursuing uh, reconciliation, or, or, or in the words of Mark Charles and D.A. Horton, conciliation. While I have so many friends in my life asking me, how do I do cross-cultural relationships well? How do I not mess this up? Where do I start? I feel like my whole life (laughs) is an answer to those questions. And so that was in many ways why I wanted to write this book is to, if my stories and my experiences and conversations can be a way in which to encourage and empower others, that's my hope. And so it is deeply personal. Um, But I truly do believe that within the future of racial reconciliation in our country and the church specifically, it will be uh, bicultural and multicultural people, people who live at these intersections of multiple worlds, who will be able to speak to both sides and bring people together. That's my hope.
0: Thank you for that. Last question I was struck by the foreword by Pastor Tabidi Anyabwile, who was uh, a guest on the show as well, and just someone I deeply respect. And he wrote in the forward to your book, he said, the Lord has graciously gifted my sister, Dr. Michelle Reyes with, uh, with a, um, well, I think I wrote the wrong word. Did I, it with a heretic? That can't be the right word, is it? <laughs> with a her with an upbringing, I wrote the word heretic in my notes. But you are not a heretic. you he he didn't, didn't call me a
1: heretic in the foreword. <laughs>
0: uh, that is so oh, with funny. a
1: heritage.
0: Oh, that's a lot better with a heritage. Uh, I have wrecked this question, but I'm not editing it out because this is how it happens. Uh, with a heritage, upbringing, education, and gifts to serve the church as a much needed guide. I'm curious, do you see yourself as that kind of guide? Because that was a true of reading the book and a lofty, but I'm curious if you feel that kind of that guideship in your own life.
1: Mm. Well, first of all, I'm so honored <laughs> by, by, uh, pastor to forward. Um, and, and th- th- these are such kind words that he has shared about me. And so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, uh, that certainly is my hope. Um, you know, I, I, I still do have one foot in the academic world. You know, I I started out in the academy uh, as a German professor many years ago. And uh, my husband is the academic dean for a local uh, seminary here in East Austin where I serve as core faculty. And so it's interesting to be uh, at the crossroads of, of the academy, but then also our church, which is black and brown. Uh, you know, folks who have not gone to college, many of whom have not even finished high school, uh, you know, immigrants, single moms with, with seven, eight kids. Um, and so in many ways, that that challenge of becoming all things to all people is very real and personable in my own life uh, within vocational ministry because I'm taking what I'm learning and reading and studying in an academic setting and having to translate it to the everyday people on the streets, right? And so it's, it's not even just the cross-cultural uh, ethnically in terms of translating uh, the way I, way I talk and behave to white people versus uh, with the black community or with Latinos, it's also, um, in, in this ed- educational way as well. So I, I feel that deeply in the different layers of my life and, um, have, I'm grateful that Pastor Tabidi feels that way too.
0: <laughs> yeah. And also, I'm sorry again that I called you a heretic. That was, <laughs> I was yeah. like, hold on, I need to go well, read that forward again. <laughs> wait a second. That is a terrible typo. <laughs> Well, my deepest thanks to Dr. Reyes, not only for the conversation that she was generous enough to have with us, but also for writing her book. Again, the name of her book is called Becoming All Things, How Small Changes Lead to Lasting Connections Across Cultures. It is available wherever you find books. We will also leave a link to that in the show notes. Of course, the conversation that has started here will continue on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. All of them have the same handle new activist is and the website is newactivist.is. A huge thanks as always to Propaganda who scored today's episode. More info on his tour dates, music, merch, everything can be found at prophiphop.com. Today's show was produced by Christina Gore, hosted and directed by me, with additional editing by Chad Michael Snavely. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Dr. Michelle Ami Reyes, as well as my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffels. Take care, friends.